All right. Well, good morning, everyone. So great to see you all. Excited to jump into God's Word together and just see what the Lord has for us this morning. So if you would, uh, open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 13. been working our way through the book of Acts, and last week in, in chapter 12, we saw Stephen, we saw the, the death of Herod, we saw that Herod's death was kind of contrasted with, with Peter, right, that really chapter 12 was, was about the glory of God, right, and, and Herod did not glorify God, and so an angel gave him death, while Peter did glorify God, and an angel gave him life. So we learn the importance, the significance of bringing glory and honor to God. Right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31 that, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So as we move into to chapter 13, if you would read with me. Uh, I believe the slides start at verse 1. I'm going to read verse 25. Just for context, it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia And from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so, Lord, would you... Lord, would you just pour out your blessing upon the reading of your word? 
Lord, would you meet us here in this place? Would you speak and minister to us? We give you this time, Lord. Behind lifted up in this place. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we enter into chapter 13, there is a turning point in the book of Acts. Chapters 1 through 12 primarily deal with the life of Peter, while coming to chapter 13 and 13 through the end to chapter 28, we now will follow Paul, or as we see here, his name is Saul, Saul of Tarsus. So as we turn a corner, Luke, the author of the book, will now follow the the life and the ministry, and more specifically, the missionary journeys of Paul. Paul took three missionary journeys before he eventually then uh, got a journey to Rome. So, here in chapter 13, we see the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. This first missionary journey takes place in chapters 13 and 14. Down in chapter 15, he's going to pick up his second missionary journey. That's going to carry us through about halfway through chapter 18. Then in chapter 18, he begins his third missionary journey to about, about, I think it's about halfway through chapter 21. Um, And then it's going to be his his travel uh, to Rome. And so as we consider this passage, I think it's significant because Paul is setting out, he's starting something new. So as we consider this passage, there's six things I want us to consider this morning. Six things we want to look at as Paul begins his his missionary journeys. The first thing I want to consider, the first thing I want to look at this morning is where it all started. Where did it start? In verse 1, it says, Now, in the church that was at Antioch. The church that was at Antioch. Antioch is a, is a city that's in Syria. It was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. If you pull up that slide, you probably have this map somewhere on the back of your Bible. Um, but just for some context, that blue circle there down at the bottom, that's Jerusalem. Right? That's where the area in which a lot of these things, as we've been reading, has been taking place. But they've traveled about 300 miles directly north to where that red circle is. That red circle there is is um, the city of Antioch. It's the th- one of the third, the third largest Roman city at the time. And then about, about 16 miles towards the coast there, if you, 16 miles to the west, there's like that little green star. I know it's kind of hard to see, um, but that green star is um, uh, Seleucia, right? So that, that green star is the city of Seleucia. That's where Paul and Barnabas and and John will end up going. And from there, they're going to sail to the island of of Cyprus. And uh, actually, a little bit below that little green curved line is is where the the city of Salamis was. Salamis was the uh, kind of the religious center um, of the island. And then that that orange circle there. Actually, if you go to the next one, I think it, it shows it a little bit better. Yeah, so... And then that little orange circle is Paphos, is where the second half of our story takes place. Just for a little bit of context to kind of see 
where we're at. They've, they're about 300 miles north of the city of Jerusalem. They're in this city of Antioch, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And uh, Antioch became, for the Gentiles, what Jerusalem was for the Jews. It kind of became a, a center of operate, a base of operations, the place where um, you know, the, the Gentile church was, was thriving and, and sending people out. And we see that in our text this morning, that Paul, Barnabas, and John are being sent out from the church there in, in Antioch. And so this first missionary journey, it started in this city of Antioch. But not just, not just the city of Antioch, but it started... It says, in the church. It started in the church. It says that they were, they were in the church that was at Antioch. You know, and I know, I know we know this, but just to, to point it out, right, the, the church is, is not the building that we stand in, right? The church is the people of God. The church is us. It's where we gather. That's what makes it the church. We can gather anywhere, and it can be church. And that's what's happening. The, the people of God, right? The church is, is flesh and blood. It's you and I. It's where we gather to worship our God, our Savior. And hopefully, hopefully the church is where the Holy Spirit is, right? Where the Spirit is leading, guiding, directing. And we're going to see in our story this morning that the Holy Spirit is present there in the church in Antioch. He's leading, he's guiding, he's directing. And I hope that like Antioch, that we are a Spirit-led church, that we are a church that's being led and guided by the Spirit, because again, notice verse 1, right? It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And we have a list of names here. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So there are these prophets and teachers in this spirit-led, spirit-filled church. A prophet is someone who exhorts, someone who proclaims the word of God. And a teacher is someone who explains the word of God, who instructs, who expounds the word of God. And oftentimes these, these two roles go together, prophet and teacher, but not always. Not the point here, though, is that this church in Antioch was a church of believers who were filled with and led by the Holy Spirit, that God's word is being proclaimed, God's word is being exhorted, God's word is being taught, they're being instructed in God's word, that the Holy Spirit is present, and they're being led, they're being directed You know, it's through the Word of God. It's through the Word of God that we grow, that we mature in the Lord. 
It's through the word of God that our hearts are stirred up for the work of the Lord. It's through the word of God that we are equipped for the ministry. You know, and Luke here lists a bunch of names. We might say the, the leaders, the pastors, the church staff there in Antioch, men who are in the word of God, men who are being stirred up in his word, taught and perhaps teaching and proclaiming his word. We have Barnabas. We learned earlier in, in the book of Acts, his name was Joseph, right? His name was changed to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Or because he was someone who came alongside and encouraged people. He encouraged the church and the church body. We have Simeon. Simeon was his, his Hebrew name, but we're given his, his Roman name was, was Niger. We have Lucius, who's from uh, Cyrene. Cyrene was, was located in, in North Africa, but west of, of Egypt. In fact, he could have been the one, he could have been the first one to bring the gospel to the city of Antioch. We're not sure. We have this man, uh, Manaean. His name means God is my comforter. And it says here, we have this little commentary by Luke that says that he was brought up with Herod, Herod the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, the Herod that beheaded John the Baptist. So this man, Manaean, was brought up with this man who's beheading people, who proclaim truth. So evidently here, this man, despite his upbringing, despite who he grew up with, he gets saved out of a difficult situation, and he goes on, and he's here seen serving the Lord. And of course, we have Saul. Saul, the the former Pharisee, the former church persecutor, but is now serving the Lord. You know, we might ask the question, what what can we learn from five names? You know, we can look at their background and we can look at their the meaning of their names. We can talk about the fact that, that Saul of Tarsus has his name changed to Paul. You know, but when I sat and I thought about this and I was considering these, these different names, you know, I would say that, like Barnabas, that we can be encouraged. We can be encouraged because the Lord can use anybody, right? The Lord can and wants to use anybody, anyone, regardless of, regardless of background, regardless of upbringing, Regardless of your past sins or your past failures. In fact, you might be sitting here this morning, you might be listening to this thing. Well, God can't use me. I mean, really, what purpose could I have in the kingdom of God? How can I be used? And I want to tell you this morning, you are the exact person that he wants to use. You're the exact person that God wants to use this morning. He wants to move in your life. He wants to use you. And he doesn't care. He doesn't care how you grew up. He doesn't care about your background. This man, Manaean, grew up with Herod. And yet here he's being used by God 
to send people out for missionary work. Well, it started in Antioch. Well, I think we also need to consider how it started. How did this all start? Notice what it says there in verse 2. Verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, that the Holy Spirit said, Separate to me Barnabas and Saul. How did it start? They were ministering to the Lord. They were ministering to the Lord and fasting. And it's as they were doing that that the Holy Spirit spoke, that the Holy Spirit said. They were ministering to the Lord. Man, and I hope that's what we're doing here this morning. We're here to minister to the Lord. You know, that, that as, as we stand here and as we worship these songs, I hope and I pray that they're not just words on a screen, that we're not just reading I hope that it's true worship unto him as we minister to him. As we're seeking to bring glory and honor to his name. Man, how does somebody minister to the Lord? You know, it says in in verse 25 of chapter 12 that Paul and Barnabas had returned from Jerusalem where they had fulfilled their ministry. They're serving God. They're serving others. And as they serve others, as they are being obedient in what God has called them to, the Bible says that they are ministering to the Lord, that that ministers to Him, being obedient, walking by faith. You know, I think we can minister to the Lord by ministering to others, to one another by being obedient to what he's called us to do, by fulfilling, as it says there in 1225, fulfilling our ministry. By being in a place where we can worship him, that it's the true expression of our hearts as we cry out and say, Jesus, it's all about you. When we sing these songs and say, God, it's all for you. Take my life. Let it be used for you. Guys, that needs to be more than just a song. Right? It needs to be our hearts. Crying out to him, saying, God, I'm yours. Use me. It ministers to him. That is ministry unto the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, what has God called you to? In what ways has he gifted you? Listen, we all have spiritual gifts. And we're all made different. We're all gifted differently. So that we can minister unto another. So we can minister to the Lord in different ways. According to our calling. According to our gifting. The way he has specially made and equipped us. Are you using your gifts this morning? Are you walking in your calling this morning? Are you ministering to the Lord? Paul and Barnabas were. Paul and Barnabas were, and it started something. It caused the Holy Spirit to step into the situation and say, separate these men for me. 
I don't know about you, but I want to be separated for the purposes that the Holy Spirit has for me. But notice something else. It says that they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. It says they were fasting. How does fasting minister to the Lord? How does that play in? You know, I think fasting is something that kind of gets lost in the church today. It's a practice that isn't done very often anymore. Fasting. How does going without food, how does that minister to the Lord? How does that bring us to a place where the Holy Spirit wants to step into our lives and say, them, separate them. I have a plan, I have a purpose. It's because when we're fasting, we're setting aside our own wants, our own needs, our own desires for the purposes of the Lord. It's setting aside the desires of the flesh so that we can focus on the Lord. These guys here in the church of Antioch are saying, you know what, we're going to spend some time fasting. We're going to draw close to the Lord and and we're going to, to do that, to really focus in, we're going to put aside our wants, our needs, our desires. We're going to put aside our flesh for a moment so that we can focus in on him. I think this is a way that we can minister to the Lord when we forget about ourselves so that we can focus on the spiritual. To spend time with Jesus. You know, oftentimes when you, when you see fasting in Scripture, a lot of times it's coupled with prayer. Right? Prayer and fasting. Listen, these guys put themselves in a position where they could be sensitive to the direction, to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're going to put aside our flesh for the moment. We're going to put aside our wants, our desires. And we're just going to seek the Lord and see what he has. Do you need direction this morning? Let me encourage you this morning. Let me challenge you this morning. Position yourself to a place where you can be more sensitive to his leading his direction, his guidance. Maybe we need to spend some time fasting and praying. If we're looking for direction and saying, God, would you meet me in this situation? Would you meet me here? I need you. These guys positioned themselves so that they could hear, so that they could be directed. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Do you need direction this morning? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. So how did this missionary journey start? It started because Barnabas and Paul were already involved. They were already serving. They were already fulfilling their ministry. They were already serving in this church in Antioch. 
They were ministering to the Lord. They've set aside their own needs, their own wants, their own desires for the purposes of drawing close to the Lord. You know, and I think there's a point here, right? They're already serving. They're already ministering. They're already at work. And I think there's a challenge here. If we're not serving the Lord now, who's to say we're going to serve the Lord then? Why put it off till tomorrow or next week or next month or when it's convenient or when I have A, B, C, and D all lined up? If we're not serving now, there's a good chance we won't be serving then. If we're not serving here, who's to say we will be serving there, wherever there is, right? Barnabas and Saul are already serving. They're already ministering. And the Holy Spirit says, okay, now go there. Because they're already at work. They're already doing it. Listen, church family. God doesn't usually ask people who are doing nothing to do something. God will usually... Ask people who are already doing something to do something more. And that's why I ask the question, what are we called to? What are our spiritual gifts? Are we using them? Are we serving? Are we ministering? Are we following our callings that he's put upon our lives? It's easier to steer somebody that's already moving than it is to steer somebody that's parked. And I get it, you can steer the wheels and they'll be in a direction, but if you're not moving, you're not going to go in any direction. It's easier to steer something that's already in motion. Are you in motion this morning? Are you moving? Are you being led and guided by the Holy Spirit? Have you positioned yourself in a place where you can hear from Him? Well, We've seen where it started. We've seen how it started. Who started it? Who started it? We've already touched on this, but look at the second half of verse 2. It says, The Holy Spirit said, The Holy Spirit said, Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Why are Paul and Barnabas stepping up and stepping out on this missionary journey? Because the Holy Spirit has called them. Because the Holy Spirit has said, separate these men. I've called them. I have a work for them. Listen, the church didn't get together and decide, you know who would be perfect for this missionary journey? Those guys. I'm sorry, but there was no strategy here. There's no strategy. There's no missionary committee that got together and said, these guys are perfect for this job. There was no discussion on who's more charismatic for this work. Who has more schooling? I mean, if anybody was was prepared to be missionaries to the Jews, it would have been Paul. 
But God didn't send Paul to the Jews, did he? He sent them to the Gentiles. I mean, in effect, Paul's schooling under Gamaliel didn't mean anything in what God had called him to go do. No, it wasn't about his schooling. It wasn't about his, how much charisma he had. It wasn't, well, these guys are more financially stable. They'll be able to support themselves on the field. None of that was discussed. Not that I see. No, what I see was the Holy Spirit said, separate these men, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have called them to. Listen, this is a work of the Spirit, not a work of the flesh. God did this. God did it. And if we're going to do any kind of work, if we're going to accomplish anything for his kingdom, at the end of the day, I want to be able to look back and say, you know what? God did this. Right? I don't want my fingerprints anywhere near this. What do I have to offer? Other than the Holy Spirit hopefully moving and working in me to say, separate him, separate her, separate them for what I have called them to. And I think this is significant because we have a tendency, right, to look at the outward appearance, right? We have a tendency to look on the outside and say, well, you know, this person's well-suited for this. They're perfect for this job. We have to ask the question, is the Lord in this? Is God doing this? Has the Holy Spirit said Is the Spirit directing? Is the Spirit leading? Is the Spirit guiding? Paul said in 1 Timothy 5, 21 and 22, I charge you you, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing without partiality. And he says, do not lay hands on anyone hastily. And we have to be careful that we don't just lay hands on someone quick and say, hey, you're perfect for this. Be blessed. Go in the name of the Lord. Did the Spirit guide? Did the Spirit direct in this? Have we positioned ourselves to a place where we're hearing from him and said, you know what? I've been praying. I've been fasting. And you know what? I think the Lord is moving. I think the Lord is directing. Or are we looking on the outside going, hey, man, they've been to school. They've got the charisma. They're likable. They're young. They're not tied down with things. They're not married or have kids, so they're perfect for this. Or is the Spirit guiding? Has the Holy Spirit said? 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things. I don't know about you, but that blesses me. God has chosen the foolish things, he says. The foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. The things which are not to bring to nothing the things which are. And listen to this, that no flesh should glory in his presence, right? God wants the glory. And so he will use those that are willing to glorify him. 
So he'll use those that are positioned to say, you know what? This isn't me. You know, when you say you can't do something, that's when God says you're perfect for it. (laughs) That's what I need. That's what I can use. Humility. Why? So that no flesh can glory in his presence. Man, he wants the glory. So who starts things? Holy Spirit does. So it started in Antioch. They've positioned themselves. The Holy Spirit has started something. So let's look at the fourth thing. How were they sent out? So the Holy Spirit has said, hey, separate these guys for me, for my purposes, for the calling that I have for them. How were they sent out? Look at verses 3 and 4. Then, having fasted and prayed... They laid hands on them, and they sent them away. And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there, they sailed to Cyprus. How were they sent out? They were sent out by the Holy Spirit, but through the church. They were sent out through the church. The church fasted and prayed, laid hands on them, and sent them out. The church, they recognized the work that the Holy Spirit was doing. They saw the Holy Spirit moving through Paul and through Barnabas. They recognized this work of the Holy Spirit. But again, going back to 1 Timothy, this wasn't some hastily thing, right? They didn't just lay hands on them and say, okay, go. What does it say they did? It says that they fasted and prayed. Then they laid hands and sent them out. So the church here did three things, right? They prayed, they fasted, and they laid hands. They fasted. The church fasted Once again, they set aside their own desires for the purposes of the Lord. They prayed. They sought the Lord in the matter. God, are you in this? Is this really of you? So once they had positioned themselves, once they had sought the Lord, then they laid hands. Right? The laying on of hands, recognizing and acknowledging the Lord's work in their lives. Let me get the picture. Paul is just now setting out on his missionary journey, right? He hasn't been traveling throughout Asia yet, planting all these churches. That hasn't happened yet. These are just two regular guys that have positioned themselves. They're involved in regular church ministry. They're serving the Lord. They've set themselves apart The Holy Spirit has shown up and said, separate these guys. And the church has come alongside them and agreed. They're in agreement of what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so they laid hands and they sent them out. 
The point here, I think, is that God calls. You know, but there were five names given to us at the beginning of this chapter. And there's two names being sent out. And this might be a small point, but I think it might be important to bring up is that not everybody is sent out. Not everybody is called to go, right? Some people stay with the stuff, right? <laughs> and that, that goes along with our callings and our giftings, right? We're, we're, we're different. God has equipped us and prepared us differently. And if, but if he's called you to go, then man, you need to go. And we as the church will come alongside you and we will pray for you and we will pray alongside you. And if the Holy Spirit's in it, we will lay hands on you and we'll send you out. But if God's called you to stay, then stay and serve where he's called you. Serve where he's equipped you, where he's gifted you. The point, though, is that we're all called and we're all gifted. And Paul and Barnabas, they went out on this missionary journey that they have been called to, set aside for. Right? But Menaean, Simeon, Lucius, they stay behind. Right? They stay there in Antioch to continue the work that's going on there. And I love that. Because I love that God has these things figured out. That God is moving, God is directing. So they were sent out through the church, and we have to ask, for what purpose? Right? The fifth thing we want to consider is the purpose. What is the purpose of this missionary journey? And I think it's two things that we see from our text it's preaching and it's discipling. We see Paul and Barnabas preaching and discipling. Look at verse 5. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their assistant. First order of business, right? God says, hey, go out. So they go down to Seleucia, they get on a boat, and they sail to the island of Cyprus. Right? And, and as they sailed, the, the first port they would have come to would have been the city of Salamis. And, and as I mentioned before, the city of Salamis would have been the kind of religious center for the island. And, and Paphos would have been the political center on the island. More on that in a moment. So they're there in Salamis. And the first thing that they do, typical when you follow Paul's missionary journeys, the first thing he does, he goes into the Jewish synagogue and he starts preaching Jesus, man. Give him Jesus. He's preaching. First order of business is always the gospel. It's always the gospel. Listen, humanitarian aid is important, right? Meeting, meeting people's needs is always a good thing. It's always an important thing, and it should always be a priority, but if we are not reaching them with their greatest need, if we're not sharing 
the gospel with them, if we are not preaching the word of God, if we are not meeting their spiritual need, their eternal need. Paul and Barnabas recognized that and said, you know what? These people need Jesus. They need the gospel. Listen, temporal life will always have needs. It just always will. I'm hungry right now. After here, I'm probably going to go get lunch. And after that, I'm going to be hungry again. (laughs) Because this temporal body always has needs. But eternal life can only be satisfied by Jesus Christ. Eternal life is only satisfied through Jesus Christ. What is the purpose of this missionary journey? It is to preach the word of God. It is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul recognized it is the power of God unto salvation. And he says, I am not ashamed of that. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Peter said in Peter 1.23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. The eternal need. The word of God which will live and abide forever. So preaching the word. I think there's another thing that's going on here and it's kind of subtle in the text but I I think it's there. They're preaching the word but I think they're also discipling. And it's it's just a small point but look at the end of verse 5 and it says they also had John as their assistant. Right? The Holy Spirit said separate unto me Barnabas and Saul. But they bring John Mark with them. They bring John Mark. And there's a point here where it says, and they also had John there as their assistant. And I think, I think maybe they brought John because maybe he needed some discipleship. Right? That's the point, right? What do we do when we preach the gospel, when we share Jesus with someone, we just leave them to flounder? Hey, good luck, figure it out. No, hopefully not, right? Hopefully we're discipling them. Preaching and discipling. To make disciples, right? This fulfills the Great Commission to go out and to make disciples. It's the next step. You preach the gospel, you bring them to Jesus, you get them saved, you disciple them. You raise them up in the Lord, in his word. They brought John Mark. John Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark. And in Colossians 4.10, it tells us that John Mark is cousins with Barnabas. So Barnabas is like, hey, let's bring my cousin along. He could use some discipleship. I think they brought John Mark as their assistant to instruct and disciple him as a believer. And we don't have time to get into it this morning, but it it doesn't go exactly as planned. 
which I think points out that he, he needs some discipleship. He needs some instruction, some encouragement along the way. And so the son of encouragement, Barnabas, says, hey, let's bring my cousin. Let's bring him along. So first we make the believers. We make believers by preaching the word. And second, we disciple believers so that they can grow and mature in the Lord. That's what missions is all about. And I, I love these stories, right? You hear about, about people, they, they, they go on the missions field. They plant churches, right? But what are they, so often what do they do, right? They raise up leadership from within the church. They raise up locals to take over that church. How does that happen? Through discipleship, right? So that these men and women can grow up and mature in their faith and in the Lord. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. It causes growth and the body for the edifying of itself in love. Man, that's what it's about. So, so that the whole body can be working. Right? That we all have different functions, different giftings, different callings. But there is one goal, is to bring people to Jesus. One goal, to see him glorified, him lifted up. It's for the kingdom of God. Well, I have to come to our last point. We have to hurry. The sixth and final thing that we see is the response. The response that they get on this journey And it's both good and bad. See, they had gone through the island, it says there in verse 6. They come to Paphos and they found a a certain sorcerer, this false prophet, it says, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. And he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. It says he's an intelligent man. And that this man, Sergius Paulus, called for Barnabas and Saul and sought, listen to this, sought to hear the word of God. What is the purpose? It's to preach the word, right? And what's the response? Well, the first response is that there's a man there named Sergius Paulus. He is the proconsul, basically a a Roman governor. Remember, Paphos is kind of the, the political center of of the island, and, and this governor, this proconsul, is there, and he's like, "Bring, bring these guys, uh, Saul and Barnabas. I want to, I want to hear the word of God." Man, that's encouraging. The first response they get is one of reception. 
right? Sergius Paulus is receptive to the word of God. He's receptive to it. Bring these guys to me. I want to hear God's word. The story turns pretty quick, though. But Elimus. <laughs> but Elimus the sorcerer, this false prophet, says his name was, was Bar-Jesus, Elimus, as it was translated, says this man withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So there is this reception, right? Let's hear the word of God. And then there's the unfortunate rejection, the oppression that comes. Unfortunately, and, and if you've ever done any kind of witnessing or if you've done any kind of evangelistic work, you know that not everybody is so receptive to the gospel. You've probably experienced this if you've been a believer for any length of time. I mean, you want to share your faith, right? You want to share with people what you believe. This Savior that has redeemed you from a life of sin. And sometimes, yeah, it's receptive, but sometimes it's not so much, right? Sometimes you, I mean, and I get this a lot at work, right? You can talk to anyone about just about anything, right? You can talk about anything under the sun. You can even talk about religion. You can talk about God. Until you mention Jesus, right? Then they get all red in the face. That vein starts popping up on their forehead. Smoke's coming out of their ears. There's something about the name of Jesus. Here's this man, Elimus. That vein started popping up. Oh, no, no, don't talk to my pro-counsel about that. Not about him. It says that he was seeking to turn the pro-counsel away from the faith. And it's that way sometimes, right? It's not enough that they want to reject God. It's not that they want to reject Jesus. They want to make sure no one else is receptive to Jesus. Right? They get loud. Notice how Paul responds. (laughs) Paul, man, he was a pretty crazy dude sometimes. Paul didn't mess around, right? What did he say? 1 Corinthians, right? I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I have one message to give, and that is Jesus. Paul's like, don't step in front of me and Jesus, right? I have one message to give. Then Saul, in verse 9, and just side note here, first time he's now called Paul. Luke makes the distinction, right? Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, take note of that, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, right? His bar Jesus, son of Jesus. He's like, no, 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 you're not the son of Jesus. You're the son of the devil, man. Enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? He says, now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately 
A dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by hand. Man, Paul. Paul. His name means small. Paul means small. I can relate to that. Even though his name means small, I mean, this man can be pretty bold, right? Paul doesn't mess around. You know, when we receive opposition in ministry, you know, maybe we want to respond in a similar way. Man, God, just blind him. Just take care of this guy. Just deal with this, Lord. Can't handle it, you know. And that's why I wanted to make that distinction. Notice what it says, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? This wasn't some knee-jerk reaction. This wasn't Paul angry at what was going on. No, I think Paul loved this man. I think Paul wanted this man to get saved. And so filled with the Holy Spirit, he responds this way. I don't think he's responding in anger. I think he's trying to help. I don't think it's just about Sergius Paulus. I think Paul is also like, hey man, you need Jesus too. You know what Paul says? You know what worked for me? Man, I was blind for three days. I was on that road to Damascus and I saw a bright light and for three days I couldn't see anything. You know, I think maybe in those three days of blindness, as Paul was physically blind, he was able to see spiritually. You know, maybe perhaps he's like, hey man, you're seeing too much of the world right now. You need some darkness. You need to be able to see spiritually. I think Paul wants to help this guy. I really do. I think he wants him to get saved. Because again, not to miss the point, he's filled with the Holy Spirit when he does this, when he says this. It's almost like, it's almost like Paul is, is sharing his testimony here in a way. Hey man, it worked for me. This is how I came to Jesus. And it's a small point, but I think it's significant, right? We all have a testimony, right? We all came to Jesus perhaps a different way. You know, some of us, we, we, we grew up in the Lord. My grandparents got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. They raised their three kids up in the Lord. One of them went off to be a missionary in Africa. And that's, the te- that's my testimony. My mom raised me in the ways of the Lord. I grew up in church, went to a Christian high school. And that can be encouraging for people. And people need to hear that. But for, for other people, right, they got saved out of something totally different. We all have a testimony. We all came to Jesus a certain way. And let me encourage you this morning, share your testimony. Share how you came to faith, how God reached you, how he spoke to you, and let it impact people. And let me make another point here. Listen, church. These guys are in the center of God's will, okay? 
The Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas. The Holy Spirit is leading and guiding them. They are exactly where God wants them, and they are hit with oppression. Right? Discouragement, almost right out the gate. Listen, when opposition comes, what do we tend to do? We tend to question God, right? Well, am I really supposed to be doing this? God, did you really say? Did I really hear from you? Because, man, this is difficult. God, I'm really struggling. The truth is, being in the center of God's will, man, sometimes it, it can be the most challenging season of our lives. And God placed us right there. But yet it's challenging. It's difficult. It's discouraging. And I got to tell you, it's right where God wants you. It's right, it's right where he wants you. And I understand this might not be the most encouraging thing. But I can also tell you the safest place for you to be is the center of his will. Right? To be right where he's called you to be. How about this? The enemy is coming against them. If the enemy is coming against you, right, if you're feeling that, that spiritual battle, if you're feeling that oppression in your life, if you're feeling perhaps discouraged, it's difficult, it's hard, the enemy's coming against you, it means you're doing something that's worth opposing. You're doing work that the enemy is threatened by. Are we as the church of Jesus Christ doing something that is causing the kingdom of darkness to shudder? Does the kingdom of darkness feel threatened by what we're doing? Are we getting pushback from the enemy? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I will build my church, he said. Paul said in Ephesians 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Listen, guys, it's a battle. We're at war. If we're doing the work of the Lord, if we are doing kingdom work, believe you me, We are in a war, right? That's why Paul tells us to put on the armor of God. We're told to put on armor, right? To grab a shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. You don't put put in armor unless you're going into the battle, right? Paul and Barnabas just walked into the battle. There's a sorcerer there, a false prophet Seeking to turn people away from the truth, away from a life of faith. We're in a battle. And this sorcerer, this Alimus, leaves in blindness. But notice, 
Notice verse 12. Man, this is, this is awesome, right? Then the proconsul believed when he saw that he had, when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Sergius Paulus gets saved, man. He comes to Jesus, says he believed. And I like this. This man sees the power of the Lord, but what astonished him? It wasn't that this sorcerer left blind. No, what astonished him? It was the teaching of the Lord, it said. The teaching of the Lord. Listen, I am 110% convinced that what changes people's lives is not church programs, it's not parachurch organizations, it's the word of God, right? I'm convinced of that. What changes lives is the word of God. It's the reading, the studying, the preaching and the teaching of his word. Man, this book changes lives. Amen? It changes lives. It changed his life. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God is powerful. And it'll cut. Whatever your deepest issue is in life, it'll cut right to it. Listen, if you want to do business with God, open his word. He will speak to you, I promise. What is astonishing? The teaching of the Lord. What astonished this man? As Paul is sharing the word of God with him, as Paul is sharing the teaching of the Lord, the gospel, this man said, you know what's astonishing? That this man Jesus died for me. This man, Jesus, went to the cross. He took the penalty for my sins. That my sins can be forgiven and forgotten. That's astonishing. Right? That Jesus was raised from the grave on the third day. That he conquered death. That he lives making intercession for us. So that one day we can have eternal life with him. Sergius Paulus says, that's astonishing. And it is, right? Listen, if you don't know the Lord this morning, if you've never put your faith and your trust in him, it is astonishing to know that he loves you, that he died for you. That regardless of your background, your upbringing, your sins, your failures, regardless of all of that, he died for you. He said, let me take those sins upon my shoulders. Let me bear them. So that you can have eternal life. So that you can one day be in glory with me. That is astonishing. So if that is you this morning, today is the day of salvation. 
And I pray this morning that you can come to him astonished at his love for you. Amen. So Lord, we thank you. We praise you this morning, God, for who you are. God, for what you've done in our lives. God, that you call us, you gift us, you direct us, you lead us, Lord. And we want to be men and women that are serving you, following you, being led by your spirit to do and say what you've called us to. And God, we thank you. We thank you that our sins have been forgiven, forgotten, that we can be called by your name, that we get to cry out this morning saying, Abba, Father, we are your sons and your daughters. And so, God, we just want to say this morning that we love you. And thank you, God, for your work in our lives. And God, I pray that you would be high and lifted up today. Lord, as we go from this place, Lord, may we be led by your Spirit. May we be in a place where we're positioned to hear from you and respond to your leading and your direction. So God, go before us, we pray. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.